Thank you, worship team. What a great way to start the new year. Thank you so much for the way that you lead us, the way that you bring us into worship. Uh, thank you so much for the heart that is behind it. Um, Carolyn, it's good to see you up there. Um, I know that you don't like the spotlight, but I got to tell you, it is good to see you. Um, blesses my heart to see you in worship up here. Um, guys, I, I know that you know there are many in our church that uh, um, are special to us, and we're going to talk about some of those special people today, not by name, but by what they do. And I'm excited to preach this message to you. If you were here last week, then you heard a message entitled, Some People Our Church Could Do Without. And if you weren't here, you can go online and you can listen to that message. And maybe you'll come back. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm looking at right now. i got to tell you that when preaching a message called, Some People Our Church Could Do Without, I kind of expected some of those people to not come back. But there's more here than there was last week. So maybe that's a good thing. But I would encourage you, if you weren't here, go listen to it. It's a word from the Lord that speaks directly to us right where we're at, that talks about the things that make us an undesirable church member, the things that keep us from seeing God do big things in our church because of an individual or because of certain individuals. And so I would encourage you, if you can, please go and uh, listen to that message. I know I've mentioned this before, and I know that uh, you've probably heard this, but there does exist a perfect pastor out there. A while back, there was a, a chain email that had went around to several different churches, and it read like this. The perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. I got to tell you today, I'm going to shorten it up a little bit because I've already looked at the clock and I know that there's chicken and noodles waiting for us over there. All right. So I'm shortening it up. I only have seven points and that's it. I promise. But the perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 a week to the church. He is 29 years old and has 40 years worth of experience. And above all, he is handsome. You guys scored there. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for church meetings and all of its committees, never missing the media of any, meeting of any church organization, and he is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next town over. And the email read, it, read like this. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. 
Then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of your list. If everyone cooperates, in one week you will receive 1,643 pastors. One of them should be perfect. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. Wouldn't it be great if we had a pastor that could do it all? But we definitely do not. Hold the amens, please. But this is where the beauty of the church being united in the gospel together is found. We can all do a part and see the work of God being done at our church. You and I are joined together by Christ to be the church with a big C, but also in the local context to be the church with a little C. You and I were called to be a part, not to be apart. Let me break this down for you with a run of Paul's thoughts through his letters where he was fixed upon this idea of unity among the church, the body of Christ. Follow along with me in your mind and heart as I read these passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Colossians 1, 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Colossians 1, 18, he is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Thank you, Melissa, for saying that earlier. Ephesians 1, 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Ephesians 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. John 2, 19 through 22, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Galatians 3.27 For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Colossians 2.19 And not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. 1 Corinthians 10.16 and 17 Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we are who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up 
in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, you and I being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and 26. So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we, we are members of one another. Romans 12.6 and 8 Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts, In his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Ephesians 4, 11 and 13. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It is written through all Scripture that you and I are part of one another. That you and I are joined together as a body. Not because of what we claim, but because of what He claims. His body and His blood provide for us the unity that we need. And His command to us is to use that for the edification of one another, to build each other up for the evangelism of the whole world so that we may send to all the nations. We were called to be a part of something bigger than just us. We were called to be a church. And as we discussed last week, when we said that there are churches, there are people in our church that we could do without, there are so people in our church that we could not do without. And that is what I've titled this second part of the message. Some people our church could not do without. If you have your Bibles, take and turn to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Philippians chapter 4, if you would stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1. So then, my dearly beloved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord. I urge Euodia and I urge Sintai. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be made known to everyone. 
The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that we would earnestly seek you this morning. God, I pray that we would earnestly see those around us who we could not do without. God, I pray that you would teach us how to be a unified body working together in one accord for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be found faithful being the church you've called us to be. And it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Paul organized many churches. Some of them disappointed him. And some pleased him. As we noted in last week's message, it seems that the church at Philippi was his favorite. He says this church was his crown and his joy. And we have some people, like Philippian Christians, who are a crown and a joy to a church, our church, and to a pastor, this pastor. A church could not get along without some people. Who are they? I want to walk through that with you. Seven people that the church cannot do without. Seven people that must be apart. Seven people that we need to either aspire to or praise in their service of the Lord. Seven people. You might be one of these people and thank you for what you do for our church. You might not be one of these people. Thank you for what you do in our church. And I want to walk through these. I think it's interesting the way that Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. We noted last week in, in chapter 3 that there's, a, there's an irritation, there's, a, there's an intention in Paul's words to say, listen, do not, do not, do not begin in conflict. Do not create conflict. Do not be that one who is focused on earthly things when the rest of the people of God are focused on things above. Do not be that person. And he follows it up in the beginning of chapter 4 with an interesting statement. One, that his joy and his crown is this church. But two, then he starts calling names. I urge Yodia and I urge Sentai and also Clement. He begins to call out the people that he sees as necessary for the church, he begins to call out those that the church cannot do without. And he begins to tell them, listen, in everything, through prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your graciousness be made known. He's speaking to us that there is an importance in these things that we find. And blessed is the church who has every one of them. First, a person that the church could not do without is the faithful folks. 
the faithful folks. You know, the Bible at no point praises greatness. It doesn't ever come to a point where a man is honored because of his greatness. But we have an entire chapter dedicated in the New Testament to those who were faithful. The Bible praises faithfulness. What kind of faithfulness? Those faithful in praying. What is arguably the greatest move of the Spirit that mankind has ever seen? For me, it would seem obvious that it would be Pentecost. Pentecost was the greatest outpouring of God's Spirit onto man that I believe we would have ever been a part of as mankind. And it would be the very thing that would ignite the New Testament church. Where do we find the story of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2. You know what's interesting about that? Is that if you turn over to Acts chapter 1, you find something very intriguing. Acts chapter 1. Verse 12. We know that Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit comes down. Men are speaking and people are hearing in different tongues, in different languages. And the Word of God is being proclaimed. And Peter begins to preach and we see thousands, thousands come to salvation. But notice Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And verse 14. They all were continually united in prayer. Along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. Those who are faithful in prayer will be the ones by which revival, by which excitement, by which ignition of the gospel will build off of. Our church cannot do without those who are faithful in prayer. Second, those faithful in giving. Our church cannot do without those faithful in giving. Those who see Scripture as a command. Those who see blessing as an opportunity. Those who see the giving, the blessing, the anointing of God on their lives. As a chance to give back to Him. And the work of the gospel. Those who are faithful in giving see something bigger than money. They see lives that need to be changed. They see hearts that need to be reached. They see a gospel that needs to go forth. Praise the Lord that we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention that has something called the Cooperative Program. 
Something that unites churches together so that we can send missionary after missionary after missionary. So that we can provide resource after resource after resource. So that we can be available for opportunities in disaster. So that we can be available for opportunities in politics. So thankful that we're part of a convention that understands the idea of giving to the kingdom work of the gospel. And I'm so glad that we have people in our church that understand that. Those who are faithful in living. Those who live faithfully for Jesus Christ. Our church cannot survive without those people. Those who are faithful in serving. We read, we talked about earlier to start the message. If a pastor was able to do everything, that would be awesome. But he's not. It is not humanly possible for him to do that and so we need people around to serve to fill in the gaps to be those ministry leaders to be those hands and feet for our church out in the community and also within its walls if you serve on a regular basis thank you our church could not do without you faithful folks also includes those faithful in attending And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. This is where the rubber is going to have to meet the road for the good majority in this room right now. Our average Sunday school attendance is 110 and our average worship attendance is 140. Do you know what our average Sunday night Bible study attendance is? 50. Do you know what our average Wednesday night attendance is? 80. Which is mostly children and youth who do not come to this church on a Sunday morning. I'm not trying to say this to guilt you. I'm not trying to put number facts out there for you to have an aha moment or an oh my moment. But if we're going to be honest with each other, this is the one thing that we struggle with as church members. All of us. We want to check our box for Sunday morning and call it good when there is so much more happening in this church on Sunday and Wednesday nights. But for some reason, we cannot prioritize those things. For some reason, we have given up the need for the Word of God in our lives, taught and implemented. We have given up on that for rest and planning and prepping for our week. It's never made sense to me. Worship is awesome. It is great to be here on a Sunday morning to sing with God's people, to hear God's Word preached. There is so much more than just that. You can learn so much more from sitting next to someone who's going through the same things you are. And looking over the word of God and study with each other. You can learn so much more than you can from this preacher on a Sunday morning. But we miss it. Parents, quit dropping your kids off on Sunday and Wednesday nights and get yourself in church for the study of God's Word. 
with God's people. Deacon, Sunday school teacher, usher, children's worker, worship team member, committee chairman. Sunday morning should not be the only times that we see you in this church. A member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly, stopped going, and after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit them. It was a really cold and chilly evening, much like we've had in the last few weeks. The pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire, guessing the reason for his pastor's visit. The man welcomed him in and led him to a big chair near the fireplace and waited. Pastor made himself comfortable but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning fire. After some minutes, the pastor he took the fire tongs and carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet fascination. And as the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. And just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately, it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. And as the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I will be back in church next Sunday. You see, we can do much more when we are a part of something. We can do so much more when we are together, learning, catching the fire from those around us. The faithful folks, our church cannot do without. Our church cannot do without the willing folks. Some people are willing to do church work and others are willing for them to do it. It's easy to talk about what we will do in the future. But it's harder to talk about what we will do right now. Let me tell you that it is great to have people that when I go to them, I know that the answer is going to be yes. I know the answer is going to be how high. I know the answer is going to be what do you need me to do. It is so good to have willing folks in our church. Thank you if you're one of those. Third, the folks with a vision. A church cannot do without folks with a vision. A vision of local needs that looks beyond dollars and cents and looks to the heart of those that we need to minister to. Folks with a vision for worldwide need. Those who see beyond the borders. Those who see beyond the money. Those who see beyond the cultural differences. Those who see the opportunity to reach the nations for Christ. Mind you, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision doesn't always have to come from the pastor. 
Vision doesn't always have to come from the leadership. It can, and oftentimes does, come from the layman who is passionate about the work of the church. Fourth, the optimistic folks. These are good folks to have in the church. And I understand that a lot of us want to be realists. And we, some of us even lean towards pessimists. But a lot of us are realists. I'm one of those guys. I look at it as it is and I think to myself, there's no way it could be anything else. But we need the optimist. Remember the story of Moses and the Hebrew children? They came to the land of Canaan, the one that they were supposed to take over, flowing with milk and honey, but there was giants everywhere. Praise God there was two optimists that went into the land. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, we can do this. I don't know how, but we can do it. If God has called us to it, then we can do it. Our church needs optimists. Our church needs those who would say, me and God make the majority and we say this is what we need to do. We need those who will stand out and say, guys, it's not that bad. It's not that hard if we will just commit. Fifth, we need the folks that aren't lazy in our church. We cannot do without them. God doesn't use lazy folks. He can't use lazy folks. Think about Moses. Moses wasn't lazy. Think about Noah. Definitely wasn't lazy. Took him many, many years to build that boat. Every day out there working with the gopher wood. The church has a call and a mission. Industrious, motivated, Non-lazy people are needed for that. We need those people in our church. Six, the folks who are boosters. If you like your church, tell other people about it. If you don't like your church, don't forget that you're a part of it. We can do more about proclaiming the name of Jesus, about telling people where the good news is. We need boosters, not boasters. We don't need people that will puff this place up. We need people that will draw people in so that they can see what it's like to be a part of the body of Christ. We need boosters. And finally, the giving folks. Our church cannot do without the giving folks. Stingy folks never build a biblical church and they do very little good for the gospel in the world. And if churches were left to them, they would be satisfied with a poorly lighted one room building and no money in the benevolence or missions accounts. I got to say this, I am so grateful to be a part of a church that is giving. To be a part of a church that cares. 
about the gospel to the ends of the earth and the gospel across the street. Thank you so much those who give and give extravagantly. Thank you so much those who give and give over and above what God has called you to. Our church could not do without you. In closing, I want to remind you of something. It takes a team to win a game. It takes a team that is interested in doing their part to win the game. We can't have people who are not gifted in one area trying to do that. We can't have one person trying to do all of it. We've got to do it all together. We've got to be a part. United. If we're ever going to see the blessing of God poured out, if we're ever going to see people come to know Him, if we're ever going to stir these waters... We're going to have to be united. Each one doing their part. Being those people. Being those individuals in our church. Doing what God has called us to do. Listen. You and I have a big task this year. We're not going to the ends of the earth. We're not going to the ends of the nation. We're not going and proclaiming the gospel in downtown Tulsa. We have a big task this year. And it's right here in our hometown of Bristow, America. And it's going to take every single one of us doing our part. If we're going to see lives changed, if we're going to see lives changed with the gospel, if we're going to see hearts changed, met where they are, if we're going to see people reached in their poverty, people reached in their brokenness, people reached in their addiction, people reached in their lostness, it's going to take every one of us doing our part. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand up and be a person that this church cannot do without? That's the challenge today. It's the challenge for this year. Be some people that God has called. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Here's what I want to do this morning. Like I said, it's not going to happen without prayer. It's not going to happen without us seeking and asking God for it. So I say we pray this morning. I say that we take a moment and spend time together praying for the work of the gospel in our community. I say we take a moment and let's spend time together praying for God to do something in our hearts, do something in our church, do something in our town. So as they're playing, as they're 
singing, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask church member, would you join me at this altar? Or would you join me right there where you are? And let's pray that God would do something big. As we prepare to step into this new year, as we prepare to step into all that God has, let's pray that we would do it wholeheartedly, that we would have a passion for the gospel among the people of Bristow, that we would have a passion for the work of Christ here in this church. Let's pray together for that. If you will, come join me at this altar. Spend just a few minutes in prayer. Praying and asking God to do something big in us, in our church, in our town. Join me in prayer. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure Oh God of Jacob 